sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 290. Well, just got back from Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, and I'm heading out again soon in a couple days to go to Melbourne, Florida. But wanted to make sure to get a special episode out to you all this week. First off, congrats to Vanderbilt. Clean sweep for them at the Hate. That is the home tournament of the University of North Florida team. Some would think that Gordon Sargent might be looking past his collegiate tournaments and solely focusing on that special exemption that he received to this year's Masters. Well, think again. He won by seven at the Hate. His second round 64 gave him some breathing room, and then the final round 67 sealed the deal. So while many teams are in Hawaii right now playing in the Amer Ari Invitational, Vandy will remain stateside and will be getting their lineup primed for a postseason run. Now don't forget the Gasparilla Invitational in Tampa gets going in a couple of weeks. I'll be there handling all of their social media content. Follow them on social media. Head over to GasparillaInvitational.com for all that information. This is a really special tournament. The best mid-ams and senior amateurs in the country. They all show up. It's one of the best vibes I've ever felt at a club. The membership is there to party and celebrate this tournament. This one is always fun, so absolutely thrilled to return. Let's jump into this episode right away. My guest this week is Billy Mayfair. Now, you'll notice that I didn't introduce him as five-time PGA Tour winner Billy Mayfair. Truthfully, there are many different ways that I could introduce Billy Mayfair. First four-time All-American in program history at Arizona State. He's also a two-time USGA champion. He won the 1986 Amateur Public Links. He also won the 87 US Amateur. He has an undefeated record in the Walker Cup. He was part of that 1987 juggernaut team that went over to England and handily defeated the GB&I squad. Billy might be most known for being the only man to ever defeat Tiger Woods in a playoff. He did that at the 1998 LA Open. So as you can see, he has had a career in golf that has checked just about every single box, and he's not done. In fact, right now, as you are listening to this, Billy is getting ready to start another year on the Champions Tour with his first event of the season in Morocco. 56 years old, he's not done, he still wants to compete. We spoke a lot about his start in the game, his amateur career naturally, and towards the end of this episode, we spoke about his health and a diagnosis that came late in life that has not only aided himself, but through his foundation, he has helped a tremendous amount of people. Let's get this episode started. Billy, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? I'm doing wonderful today. Thank you so much for having me on. You uh, you are welcome. Uh, we are kicking off kind of 2023 season. I know that uh, you know, you're, you're about to get out of town and actually get out of the country. You're going to Morocco to kick off your Champions Tour uh, season. Now, we're, we're going to talk about your amateur career in a little bit because that's, of course, what we do here at the back of the range. But uh, before we kind of get started, you know, you've spent the last month or so, I'm guessing the way like every casual golfer does in the winter, you're preparing to get back, maybe getting in the gym, maybe checking out some gear. 
What's the last month or so been like for you as you get ready to uh, embark uh, in a, on another year of professional golf? Well, it, you know, it, you, you were right. We, we do a lot of, you know, we, we work out, we hit the gym a lot harder this, you know, during the off season than we do during the normal season. I do a lot more lifting and that type of stuff, more cardio than, than you know, during the season. But, uh, you know, I went over and visited a couple of golf companies and tried some new clubs out and uh, some new golf balls out. Tylus has got a new golf ball out. So, you know, even though we have off season and, and there's no tournaments going, we're always, you know, testing stuff and, and hitting new clubs and, and, and getting ready for the season. And, um, you know, there's there's no one more happier than my wife and everyone to, to, for me to get to Morocco so they can get us out, get us out the door and get the season going. <laughs> <laughs> your your wife, she's had about enough of you. Is that what you're saying? Well, she's not here right now, so I can say that. Now, I, I think, I think, you know, I think, I think all the wives in the world for tour tour golfers are are, are anxious to the season to start to get them out to get us out. All right, now you so, know we're being recorded here, right, Billy? We got to watch what we say. I know, I know. You can play ahead. I, I guess I'm going to owe you one there at the end. All right, you know? all right. That's uh, just slip that twenty in my pocket. We'll edit that out. Don't you worry. We'll get that figured out for you. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, we'll this get is, that figured out. We'll Good. get yep. that figured out. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. this is what all golfers and you're still. I mean, no matter how whether you're starting as a rookie or or your your veteran everyone's chasing distance everyone's chasing uh consistency what maybe are the things that you're looking to i guess you know whether it's an equipment move or a ball move or anything like what are you kind of trying to get maybe set up better for going into this season well the one the one thing i took i i I didn't have a very good season last year it was kind of um it was it was one of my worst seasons i had not just on the champions tour but for for the whole year and my stroke average was high. So, you know, when the season was over, I sat down and, and looked at some stats and looked at some things and, and, and what, what did I need to do during the off season uh, other than conditioning and all that to, to have a better year. Yeah. And one thing that I noticed that was the thing that jumped out at me the most was that, you know, on par fives, um, I wasn't making enough birdies on par fives. I mean, you have four par fives around, you should play them four under. And, you know, when you tee off on one, you should already be four under. And not only was I making not birdies on them, I was making bogeys on some of them. So I had to kind of look back and, and, and go back and, and see, you know, why was I doing this and where was I making my mistakes? And, and, um, you know, I worked real hard on, on getting some good fairway woods and, and, you know, most of the time this off season, I've spent a lot of times, you know, chipping around the greens and out of the bunkers and, and all that, because I just maybe missing the par five green and then not getting it up and down or hitting a bad shot and then three putting or something like that. Um, you just, you can't give shots away like that, you know, on the tour and expect to play well. So that was probably the biggest thing that I noticed, uh, you know, from last year that I needed to improve on. And, uh, you know, of course, anytime, you know, always during the off season, you know, companies come out with new drivers and, and new golf balls so you're testing those but um you know the nice thing about being home is you can spend some time on your short game and, and putting yeah 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 those are the key now you mentioned being in the gym now when i think of gym rats on the champions tour obviously i mean i gotta start i gotta start with vj singh i mean i think everything he every video he ever puts out on social media it's him lifting mm. something or throwing a tire or throwing or, you know carrying someone in from the beach <laughs> or god knows what now is he still the king of the fitness trailer on the champions tour i mean who who else is bouncing around the gym right right next to you of course at like four in the morning uh all no, the time no, I, no, I mean, no 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 that no that's 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 for the young guys that's for the for those young kids coming out and all that stuff we hit the gym about 10 a.m <laughs> and uh you know i know i know bj's put out some uh some videos and, and and throwing tires and all around that but i mean 
I pick up my dog who's 14 pounds. That's about the heaviest thing wow. I want to pick up right okay. now, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, there's a time to lift and there's a time to do all that stuff, but I, I don't like doing it during the season and that's just me. And, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a regular, I, I, I concentrate really hard on my foods and on my diet when I'm on the off season because I can control my environment being home yeah. so much more. So that's something that we do during the off season. When you're on the road, it's a lot harder to eat well and, and do stuff. So, um, you know, that's just kind of some of the stuff I work on when I'm home. Well, you're a native of, uh, you know, born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, mm-hmm. me being a South Florida guy, we, uh, you and I have a, have a difference of opinion on the, uh, the, the controversial topic of, of humidity, but we're not going to get into that right now. We're not going to talk about <laughs> that, but, um, was golf always like your thing or were you like a multi-sport kid? When, when did golf really become kind of the fixture and, and passion in your life? Um, golf was always, it was always my favorite. I used to do a lot of swimming. Um, I was a real good swimmer. Uh, I was on the state varsity team here and, and all that stuff. And, and, and it's kind of a funny story when you think about it, but I would used to swim a lot and then play golf tournaments. But when I, when I was doing swimming, uh, they gave me a ribbon. I cut a ribbon for finishing, you know, good in, in, in but in golf, you got a trophy and you know, that changed my mind. I said, I'm going to play golf. I, I get a trophy over a ribbon. So, um, you know, I, golf became a little bit more, and plus I could go out with my dad uh, to the local golf course and hit golf balls with him and be around him all day, and I enjoyed doing that. And it probably really wasn't until my junior year in high school when when colleges started, you know, talking to me and, and, and doing all that. I know it's a little bit different now with recruiting than it was back then, but, you know, when, when I started getting scholarship offers my senior year to go play golf, um, you know, I, I definitely took golf up much more serious. And then when I got into college, I, you know, I said, you know, this was not a bad way to make a living. And I think I'm pretty good at this. So uh, that's kind of when I realized that I wanted golf to be my future. Well, you mentioned your your junior golf days. You won a lot of tournaments out there. And, you know, uh, I mean, I got to bring it up. March 1981. I mean, the issue of Boys Life magazine. I don't know where. I mean, this is. <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm like in a bookstore. I'm just walking past. And I mean, there it is right on the shelf. I mean, this is the official magazine of Boy Scouts of America. It's first published in 1911. I mean, there are a lot of great articles in this issue. You know, there's a feature on Willie Stargell, Hall of Famer from the Pirates. There's, you know, learning to water ski at scout camp. Then there's a write up on canoe school for river runners, which I still don't know what that really means, but forget about all that. that. I have no idea what that is. Um, But on the cover that month is a young Billy Mayfair wearing powder blue sands belt trousers and a white belt trousers and my long and my long hair over my ears and all that. Yep. Hair everywhere. I mean, you look like a, you look like, like a 22 year old John Cook in the British open. I mean, and there's just hair (laughs) everywhere, but I'm looking, but we're not going to talk about the blue sands, the blue trouser. Well, I'll let you pass on that. It was the early '80s, but like this is the equivalent of being like TikTok famous. Did you like all that attention when that when that magazine comes out? What does your life become? Well, you know, I didn't. I I, I, I I'm kind of ashamed to say it. I wasn't a Boy Scout, so see, <laughs> I, I I wasn't a Boy Scout, so I ended up being on the cover of their national magazine. I I guess I kind of was, you know, I I when they talked to me about doing it the gentleman came out and spent a couple of days with me and we went out and ate pizza and if you read the article i you know that was my favorite thing to go eat pizza all the time that's why i had long hair and a big belly too but 
you know, when the article came out, it was it was kind of neat to be on a cover. But then when you walk through an airport and you would see it or go somewhere and someone would recognize it, you know, you know, it was kind of my first start. Like, oh, wow, people do yeah. read this stuff, recognize you and all that. But uh, I always felt kind of weird that I was never a Boy Scout, but I was on the cover of their magazine. Yeah, so. pe- people are looking at you like, hey, isn't that the kid from Boys? No, that can't be. He's there smoking a cigarette, having a beer. That can't be him. That's yeah, not- yeah. I, I, I think I'm, yeah, I've changed a little bit. I'm definitely a little bit older, but uh, right now my hair is that long, but it won't be after after in a few days before I go to Morocco. That's for sure. There you so. go. There you go. Well, you, you had these coaches coming after you and, and you stay home, you stay local, you go to Arizona State. You're the first fault. You're the first four time all American to come, uh, come out of that program. Uh, you, the, the second was some guy named Mickelson, but, uh, you know, I'm not sure whatever happened to him, but I'm sure he's doing fine. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, their practice facility is one of the best in the country. And, and, you know, you and I were talking just before we got started about, uh, you know, the latest, uh, you know, talking about college golf, we were talking about the, the Southwestern where Texas won. We're talking about the national championship at Greyhawk and just college golf has really exploded. I mean, for Golf Channel to put a regular season college golf tournament on primetime television, I mean that that says a lot right there. What was college golf? What was the landscape kind of like in the in the mid '80s when you were playing uh, for Arizona State? Well, uh, obviously it was a little bit different. We uh, we used to practice on a field, and it was right behind the football stadium, between uh, right across from the baseball field there at that Packers and we we just drive our car out we park right on the edge have the music going and we just hit our own balls and uh we were a pretty darn good team then but you know what we had the best tan of anyone out there uh-huh because we had we had we would just wear dolphin shorts we'd have little tiny pair of shorts on and and, and our golf shoes and that's it and we have always been the best team at a tournament, but we had the best tan of anybody going on that. But, you know, that's just how different the, 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 the golf has changed. We, we just hit balls out in the field and went over to a, uh, one of the public golf courses and chipped and putted and, and, and did that and played once or twice a week. But, you know, now it's like we've been here, like you said, at ASU and all these facilities they have and the hitting bays and all that, you know, really, really, I think, helped a lot of the kids. But I think – for us, the biggest thing was back in the eighties, you didn't think about going to the gym after the round. You, you know, like I said, you went out and had pizza or you went out and had beer or or you did something like that. These kids today in college, I mean, you know, they go to school, then they go to in the study halls and they have uh, weightlifting and all that stuff. It's, it's kind of a total, you know, it's a different, lot different world now than it was when we were there. So uh, um, that's why these kids come out and they're so fit and so strong. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. And just being, being around as much as I am, it's, it's sometimes you have to kind of, you know, really remind yourself that like they're only 20, they're 19, 20 years old. I mean, like Luke Potter, who's in Arizona state right now, he was, he was basically a couple shots back of the lead last night for the, uh, and, and, you know, I've been around Luke. He's, he's a good kid. He's, but, but also you're like, he's a freshman. He doesn't look like a freshman, but like they're 18 years old and they're just wired completely differently than most 18 year olds are, especially ones that were playing college golf, maybe 20, 30 years ago. Absolutely. And I remember, you know, yesterday I watched, I think he on 18, I think he had, you know, I think he had 92 yards to the front of the green. I remember hitting six ironing into that green, oh my you God. know, that tee. So that just tells you how strong these kids are. And, and, and yes, don't get me wrong. The equipment and the golf ball has changed a lot between that time too. But, you know, you got to give these kids credit. I mean, they're in there working their butts off, um, 
they're they're athletes, you know, before people never thought. And that's what Tiger Woods did. Tiger Woods changed everyone's impression of a golfer uh, from being just a, a fat country club kid to being uh, an athlete because Tiger Woods was an athlete. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 percent right. It, it changed professional, it changed junior. I mean, I mean, the ripple effects still. Uh, you know, I, I think they're still looking at what Tiger did. I don't think they're necessarily, I mean, yes, they want to have the similar career as a Rory or a Ricky, but man, or, you know, they're really looking at what Tiger did and laid the, laid the groundwork. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and he did that, you know, he, to come out and play when he did and, and, and to win as quickly as he did. I mean, these kids today, I mean, I, I, I you look at the, even the, the tournament today at Pebble beach uh, started. I mean, you don't, most of these guys are off the corn ferry tour. I mean, yeah. uh, these kids are coming out of college now and they're ready to win and they're ready to win on the corn Ferry tour. And they're ready to win on the PGA tour. You know, our biggest thought when, when we got out of college to go to the PGA tour was, you know, you just wanted to keep your card. You finished in the top 125. You had a great season. And then the next year you tried to go up a little bit more. And a little more. You, you don't, you weren't even thinking about winning a golf tournament uh, those first few years on tour. Now, now these kids come out and they're ready to win right away. Well, you had a time right before your you start on the Champions Tour. I think it was, what was that like, twenty fourteen or fifteen? You had like a couple years in the Corn Ferry, kind of just kind of getting ramped up for Champions. I mean, you must have been front row center to some kids coming in saying, "Good God, th- I mean, this is what's coming into the PGA Tour." <laughs> You're like, really? I mean, thank. I mean, you must. I mean, I don't want to well, put words in your mouth, but you must be like, "Thank God, I'm going to the old guy tour." Yeah, it, there was, and, and all that, and, and, and you know, I guess playing playing the tour the way I did, you know, I could I could go out there on the range and I could see the guys who were going to make it, and I could tell the guys who weren't going to make it. You could just tell by their yeah by their by their by their work ethics and, and all that stuff. I guess it's kind of like what you would say a, a you know a scout would do for baseball or for football and all that. But um, you know, the Corn Ferry Tour. And, and the Hogan tour and the Nike tour, they were all different names out there. You know, they gave these kids somewhere to play. And, you know, when I came out, I went to the tour school. And if you missed the tour school, you went to Asia. And yeah. there was nowhere else to play. So, you know, these kids should be real thankful. And, and I think it's helped them a great deal that, you know, if they don't get their tour cards right away, because it is hard to get out there. Now you have to go through the Corn Ferry tour. Um they have a place to play and it, you know, most of them are probably signal sig- signal and, 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 you know, you make a hundred, 150,000 a year, you can survive. You know, when I came out, if I didn't make it on the PGA tour, there was nowhere for me to go. And I would have had to spend a lot of money. And there's no way I could have broken even. Yeah. I mean, you're, you brought up an excellent point about that. Um, and I, I was going to kind of ask you about that. You know, in fact, I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. Cause I definitely, we need to talk one other topic before we get to your pro career. Cause you know, you're, okay. you're, you're, you're two time USGA champion, 86 public links, 87 USAM down. Now you won at Jupiter Hills, which is literally like 30 minutes up the street from my place down here in South Florida. Now you're telling me you didn't like all that, that muggy, you know, humidity when you're down here, you, 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 you really prefer the desert to, to this swamp we have in South Florida. Come on, be honest. You didn't like well, that. You know, hey, listen, the week, the week I won that, the weather was perfect. Oh, okay. It was, see. it was hotter. No, it was hotter than, than anything. <laughs> August. I think the Ryder cup, you had the Ryder cup there. I think two weeks before that. And that's right. Uh, it was a PJ national. That's right. That's right. PJ national. And it was just a sweat box, but you know, it, it, it I think it kind of helped me. It kind of kept me, kept me loose. I was, had, I had some back issues at that time, even, even at that age, but um, you know, it was just, 
for me, I guess just the, the stars and the, and, and, and the moons and the planets all lined up good for me. And, and it, everything just worked out that way. But I, I loved Jupiter Hills. When I got there, I, I, I fell in love with the golf, both of them right away. And, uh, I have a good week. And, and, and fortunately, you know, when you play match play, it's a, it's a crapshoot sometimes, but, uh, that was by far one of the greatest experiences of my life by winning the amateur. Well, that, that paves the way for you to go represent the United States at the Walker Cup in 87. And you go to Sunningdale, you have this great dream week where you go 3-0. and And you mentioned, you know, the, the USAM being a highlight of your career. So let me, put you in the, let me put you back in this spot. You're on the first tee. You're the first match going off in the 87 Walker Cup. You got your captain, Fred Ridley, yep. chairman of Augusta. He's the 75 USAM champ. Your partner is Buddy Alexander. He's the 86 USAM champ. So you got the 86 and the 87 USAM champ together. Um, I don't know this the answer to this, but but and of course you're playing against uh, Graham Shaw and some guy named Colin Montgomery. I'm sure he's Colin Montgomery. He, yeah. he's, he's doing fine too. But um, it's and, and they were ar- and they were already arguing on the first tee. Can you believe that? That's a surprise. Wait and, a yeah. minute. Well, okay, we've uncovered. All right, let me put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But now hold on. <laughs> don't you worry. We're going to get back to that one. But here's my question: That match is alternate shot. Now, did yep. did Buddy do you solid and hit the ball first, or did he, or did he say, "All right, kid, good luck"? Who hit the first ball? Oh hell no! He said, "You got you got odds." See, Immediately. I knew it. I knew he was gonna. And right, to me. and then not only that, he says, "You got odds, and don't you dare hit it out of bounds." Mm-hmm. Yep. And, so, and you know what I did? You ever heard this? I hit it dead right, and it hit the OB stick and came back in. Well, that's clean living. You know why? Because you're a Boy Scout, Billy Mayfair. That's why. Listen, everyone was fine that the British and the the fly, they weren't cheering for us. I'm surprised someone didn't kick it out of bounds, to be honest with you. That's incredible. But, but, you know, buddy, I mean, I remember hitting it off the tee, and I go, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. I guess we got to edit that one. I go, oh, shoot. Uh I guess, buddy, you're gonna to have to reload it, and he thought he was gonna to have to, and then they said it was in. So, uh, but no, the first, the first thing when Buddy and I were the first group out, he says, "You got odds," and I didn't even think about it at the moment. Odds, mm-hmm. okay, I got odds. What's that mean? That means you hit it first. Oh crap! Okay, yeah. so thank, thank, yeah, he didn't, he, didn't, he he didn't do me any favors. That's for sure. All right, so we know that that right, so you're kind of working like a team where basically buddy Alexander is telling you what you're, you're going to do. Let's get back. Let's, let's get back to your opponents, Shaw and Montgomery. Please tell me there's a story here. You know, anytime Colin Montgomery is out there, I mean, there's always a story. Okay. There's never, you know, there's never a dull moment with that guy. But, um, I remember that, you know, they, they were really into it and, and we, we were loaded up. I mean, we, we had a team. Oh yeah. You killed him. Champion and, and Jay Siegel and Bob Lewis and, and, and all those guys who have been there forever. I mean, we came over loaded and uh, they wanted to beat us. And when we were up, I remember they got, they got into a, they got in, Colin and them got in, in got into an argument between them. And uh, because they, you know, one would hit a bad shot and then, you know, how, you know, they, they argue with each other and buddy and I just started laughing. And I think we won the match four and three. We, we blew them away pretty good. Uh, you, so. you beat them five and four, but I like where you're going five with that. Four. Yeah. You, but they, yeah, your team, I mean, you had Andrade, you had Lenny Matisse. And then of course you got, I mean, Bob Lewis, Jay Sigal. I mean, forget about it. I mean, you guys were, were, uh, were just completely stacked. And yeah, like I said, 
guys yeah. guys went three and zero, and 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 then I mean that's really the the dream cap to any amateur career. And then you you know we were kind of talking just you know about about turning pro. I mean you, you get the now you get the master's exemption eighty eight, and I you know the one thing that's interesting about that is you know this year they gave a special exemption to to another amateur. They gave one to Gordon Sargent. There's going to be seven at this year's masters, and this is like the first time in over twenty years they've given a special exemption. But back in '88, you play it, and there were um, there were 11 amateurs in the field that year. Now they had the U.S. or the Masters at the time. They would give a spot to the U.S. Am semifinalists, and then they gave them to the entire Walker Cup team. There could have been 14, but three of your guys, uh, uh, yeah, they went pro. What was the? I guess you know the Masters gets bigger and bigger every year with with technology and just the reach of it is it's, it's just growing exponentially every single year. But what was, I guess, what was the vibe for an amateur at the Masters like thirty years ago? I mean, you mentioned drinking beer. I'm sure that crow's nest. Now they now the guys stay there for one night just to kind of you know do the right thing and honor the the history. But I mean, the, the crow's nest must have been much different thirty years ago. Well, it was, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine staying at the Crow's Nest during the tournament because it'd be so loud and, and, and all that stuff. Actually, uh, we had played a college tournament, uh, um, Arizona State and LSU did somewhere, and, and Buddy and I actually went after the tournament and drove down to Augusta and played a, a practice round, played two, two practice rounds down there, and we stayed in the Crow's Nest while we were down there. So I did, I did get to spend two nights in it, and it's just, you know, all I remember is waking up in the morning and you open the window and, and you know, there's the 10th tee box of Augusta National. So, um, you know, it's 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 pretty odd. What was odd, I guess, to me was great was, you know, you got to see the sun come up and I got to sit there and watch the sun go down over Augusta National. And, and even being a college kid, which, you know, a lot of kids wouldn't think that much about, I just, you know, you soaked up every second of it. I mean, you, you, from the moment you got there and, and one of my best stories you know, obviously I got to play with Larry Mize uh, in the first round because I was the amateur champion and he was defending champion. And I remember walking around to go to the putting green before the round and, and they had my name on top of the leaderboard or on 18 because I was the amateur champion. That's how much amateurs mean to yeah. Augusta National. Yeah. And they had my name on top of the leaderboard, which I told my parents, take a picture of it now. <laughs> not be there much longer. But, you know, so, but. I think the thing I remember the most about my first masters was at that time, at the mat, you know, you repaired every day. They didn't keep tee times on Thursday and Friday and then repair. You played the first round and then they paired you by score. Okay. And to tell you how long ago it was again, you didn't, you didn't have a computer. You called the clubhouse and I called and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm Billy Mayfair. Um, I think I shot 70, 74, 75. And they said, oh, Mr. Mayfair, you're up tomorrow at 9.15 with Mr. Palmer. Oh, I heard of that guy. And I said, uh, excuse me? She goes, with Mr. Palmer, she kind of starts chuckling. Uh -huh. And I'm just standing there. My parents are standing there watching me. And I'm going, I just must have turned, I turned white as a ghost. And they said, who are you playing with? Who are you playing with? And I said, I'm playing with Mr. Palmer tomorrow. And the whole room in our house just got quiet. And, you know what you know i didn't sleep much that night but what an absolute wonderful experience that was the next day and, and i wish i could have played better there's no doubt about it but arnold was so gracious and and so wonderful to me i cannot emphasize that and just to tell you the class that he had on on 18 um you know he walked up and i 
and I was prepared. I walked off to the side and was going to let him walk yeah, up yeah. to get his patient. And he, he waved me over and put his arm around me and we walked up 18 together. So, um, that's a pretty, pretty neat memory. That's really cool. That is, yeah. uh, gosh. And I, and the thing I learned and the thing I learned the most about that round was I watched Arnold and like I said, both of us weren't going to probably make the cut, Right. but I'll tell you what, on every shot, he, he grinded on every shot. Like he was, like he was leading the golf tournament. And I said to myself, I said, here's the gentleman who's won this. He's going to miss the cut and look at the way he's grinding and playing hard. And I learned a lot from him that day. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit about the, I think it was that that Joe DiMaggio quote where DiMaggio was was always, always hustling. And I believe it was either DiMaggio or Ted Williams. I'm, I'm probably getting it mixed up. But I guess that what I'm getting at is, you know, they're like, you know, the guy could be at the end of his career, but somebody's watching me for the first time. Well, yes. this could apply to Palmer. Somebody's at their, you know, some guy got tickets to the Masters for the very first time, and he's and his hero is Arnold Palmer. And yes, he's probably in his forties or fifties, and he's not going to win or not going to make the cut. But this is his only time ever getting to see Arnold Palmer, and that's probably exactly why he was doing what he's doing. Yeah. Well, he was competitive too. I mean, listen, he oh, doesn't. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't want to miss the cut. He wanted to be there, and he and he didn't. You know, I could tell, but. You know, you just, it was such a great experience. And to see the way he approached it and did things there, you know, it was just, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great story. And that's a great memory. And, um, and as an amateur, and yeah, I mean, just, you know, your amateur career, like I said, two USGA championships, you won the Pac Coast twice, Walker Cup, you know, uh, we got the Masters. Well, now we, you kind of hinted and we're talking about, and, and I'll, I'll interrupt you for one second. One of the nicest things, too, is after the round, he signed my hat. And oh. I, still have, I still have the hat framed. So Really? You know, that's, yeah. that's cool. That's, that's yeah. when you really kind of throw that all to the side and be like, yeah, I know I'm playing and competing, but, yeah, I, I'm still a fan of Arnold Palmer. So, yeah, please. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Jack and Arnold were, I mean, in my career, I, I, I got the fortune to play with both of them in tournaments, and, and, and Jack and Arnold were, were always – so impressive and so much to watch fun to watch but i learned so much off them and what they do is incredible yeah and the attention that they get i mean they can't go through anything in life anonymously which is just that's also just so incredible they could accomplish that much where you know everyone is watching no matter what they do whether they're making birdies or bogeys they're always under the spotlight yes yes they are yeah and and again you know back then you didn't have the social media you didn't have all the stuff like you do today but you know they were they, they were, they were, you know, they were, there was a lot of pressure on them. Trust me. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. Um, well, let's talk 88. You get through Q school, you, you, you finish T17 and, um, you get your card and you were kind of alluding to the fact that, and you know, what else is funny is like in 88, the leading money winner on tour was Curtis Strange. He barely cracked a million in earnings. And today you get a million dollars for actually just showing up one week, really, you can get guaranteed money for, for, for it by shooting, you shoot a pair of 77s and go home with a check for a million dollars. You won the Haskins award in 87. You're the yep. USAM champion. You are like, if anyone's going to say that's the guy that's going to make it. I mean, you were the guy that year with all the accolades. Did you have any reservations at all before going to Q school? I mean, you get through, but I mean, did you, you know, it's not like there was all these riches waiting for you, like oh, millions and millions of dollars. I mean, what were? Oh, your- 
No, I, 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 you know, like today, I mean, I would have probably, you know, I would have probably signed contracts anywhere from 10 to $20 million nowadays. I mean, there's no doubt. I, I had signed a, a clothing deal with Antigua Sportswear and they gave me $3,000. Oh my and, God. And, and Ping was, I was, I was a Ping player and, and, um, um, I knew that Ping was going to pay me, but we were in a pool system at that time. Ping paid, they just didn't play a pay a player out. You had to get in a pool system and you had to play well in order to make some money there. So, you know, when I started out, some of these kids, have, if I would have had the record that I did, would have had millions and millions of dollars in the bank. And, and I didn't. And, and, but trust me, the funny thing is I had $3,000 in my checkbook at the time. And I was the richest guy in the world. Yeah. I kept looking and I got $3,000. I mean, that was all the money in the world to me. And still is a lot of money. Trust me. Don't get me wrong. Oh, there, yeah. but, but you know, like he said, some of these kids now would have so many millions in the bank. I mean, 3000 was, was a lot of money to me at the time. And, you know, I needed sponsorships. I had people here in the Valley in the state of Arizona that helped me and sponsored me a little bit to get me going and all that. And, you know, you, you just don't quite need that today because you, you are paid so much in front. Yeah, it's a weird dynamic right now with the professional because they've created all these different avenues for you to get to the PGA Tour, whether it's, you know, Q School to Corn Ferry or there's Latin and, and China uh, to, to and Canada to get you to Corn Ferry. Then there's mini tours. Then there's PGA Tour U. There's all these different avenues. But the the money to make it, to make it as a pro you really need to get to the high level. Other than that, you're kind of losing money and treading water. And after, yeah, and after every year goes by, you know, there's another crop of young kids coming out that, you know, you know, some of these guys coming out of college, you know, that are doing great in college golf, you know, in a blink of an eye, they're going to be 27 with like maybe conditional status on the corn Ferry tour saying, what do I do? What do you do? What do you do? And and not only that, and I and I and I forgive me, I haven't looked at the corn ferry schedule, but when I came when I was forty nine and fifty, they would start in South America. Oh, they're they doing that. Yeah, Bahamas and yeah, Bahamas and, and, and uh and, yeah, Peru. And, yeah. And you know what? That's not cheap to go down there, boys. No. You know, no one's no one they're not the tour's not paying for that. You're paying for that out of your own pocket. And that was one of the things that was nice when I played the corn ferry my when I was forty and forty nine years old we all kind of traveled together and we all ate together and got to know these guys. And, you know, I said to him, I go, how can you guys survive? Because we're not playing for any money. I'm playing now just to kind of get ready for the champions tour. Yeah. But how can you survive, you know, doing this with all the expenses that there is and, and, and you needed sponsorships and those, you know, those are hard to come by, you know? So they were definitely struggling. And it's like you said, they have so many different avenues now, to get to the PGA tour, but until you get to that tour, um, it's, it's a, it's a long, hard road. And I bet you saw, I bet you met tons of guys out there where like you get to know them. They're great. They're great people. Maybe they have, you know, families back home and kids or whatever. And I mean, I'm guessing there could have been many times where you were like, look, man, I mean, you seem like a nice guy, but do you really, I mean, is this really for you? Do you understand like what's in front of you? Um, and to myself, I'd say that. To, oh, to of, them, oh, I, oh, of what, course. What, what, what are you, what are you, what are you thinking about? You know, I, I watch them play or, or something like that, and and I knew the standard that they had to be at, and maybe maybe even higher than when I was playing. But um, 
you know, it was, it was a pipe dream for some of them. That that's for definitely sure. But, you know, again, they, they, you got to give them credit for trying and, and they have a dream and they're trying to, to, to live it. Um, I just would like to see, you know, I just like to see these kids be taken better care of, um, expense wise, you know, so they're not, they're not blowing their whole fortune or getting debt trying to get on the PGA tour. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing, I think I agree with you. I, I, I think the money at the very, very top, it's, it's a little ridiculous. I would not be upset to see some of that come down a little bit to the, to the corn Ferry tour. Um, but to be honest with you, I would have never, I would never have wanted to trade what I did the other way. I, you know, to, if I would have been paid $20 million to start out there, it would have been very hard at times to go to that range that extra time or to yeah. do those extra things. And, and I'm very grateful that I got, that I got out there and, and did the things that I did that way. And when I, you know, I, I think my first year, and I know you may know this better, but in 95 was the first year I think I made over a million dollars. And I think there were seven guys on the PJ Tour that year that made a million dollars. And, you know, that was a big deal out there. If you, I mean, I think Greg Norman was one of the first ones that made a million dollars in one year. Yeah. In one year, he made a million dollars. And some guy's going to make $2 million next week at Phoenix for winning. Yep. And, you know, that's great. And I, and I have no problems with the purses going up and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, what the hardest thing is, is that, again, you look at, you know, how much career money did Jack Nicholas have and Arnold Palmer had? They didn't have very much. You know, I got off the tour and I was $20 million. You know, now these kids coming up, you know, that's five years. And they've got, they got 20, maybe $20 million in career earnings. So you have to put each, each you know, level in decades or, or, or years into perspective because it changes so much out there because of the purses. But as I said, again, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that I, I started when the purses weren't as high and, and didn't have anything to start with because it made you hungry and it made you want to play out there. I completely agree with you. I, I think that, yes, they may be making a, a, well, they are, they're making a ton more money than, than the generation of pros uh, before them. But uh, as far as, is it really sharpening the blade and are they as hungry and, and as gritty? Well, we'll figure that well, out. We'll, you know, we'll figure well, that out when it's, when, you know, it, they're playing for something that's more valuable than money, like, like a major or something like that. Absolutely. And, and we'll see also here too. And I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, but you know, how about these guys who just signed all this money for the LIV, you know, oh, that's um, a, yeah, that... guaranteed that's a whole nother subject there, but it'll be interesting to me, see how those guys from the LIV tour when they do play in the majors, because I think they will play in the majors, yeah. how they'll play there because um, it is a different mindset. It's just like the champions tour is a different mindset. Hey, everyone says, Hey, there's 70 guys in the field, no cut. It must be wonderful. Yes, it is. But there's also that grind and not making the cut and, 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 and trying to make the cut and, and, and that the whole mindset that you were used to on the big tour that changes on the, on the champions tour. And it's not always the most positive for you. Well, champions tour, you know, yeah, 54 holes and no cut, but also like, you can't approach that. I mean, I'm well, you tell me, how do you approach 54 holes? No cut. I mean, I, I think it was like Lanny Watkins said, like, if you don't shoot low in the first round, you're going to get lapped. I mean, it's, it's not a, it's a, it's a race, isn't it? It's a race. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was probably the, one of the biggest things, my first senior or champions, well, it wasn't a champions. It was a senior event was the senior open. And so it was four days. It was a cut. Yeah. I think 
you know, four or five under par. So it really didn't feel all that different. And then we went the next week to Boeing up in Seattle. And all of a sudden you had to put your track shoes on. And if you didn't shoot 67, 66, the first round, um, you didn't have a chance. And I mean, these guys can still play. And I, I get a kick out of some of these younger kids who says, well, I can't wait to get on the champions tour. It'll be easy out there. I got news for you, boys. These guys out here can still play and, and, and all that. But, um, it's definitely it's definitely much more of a track race on the Champions Tour than it ever was on the PGA Tour. What what keeps you? Um, I mean, this is the Champions Tour. This is like the forty fourth season, I think, that's getting ready to start with the Champions Tour. And I know you can't speak to everyone that's out there with you, but like, what motivates you and draws you at fifty six years old to be like, I- I'm going to Morocco. It's time to it's time to go. Like, how what drives you? Is it is it because this is all you've known? This is your job? Is it because the c- competitive? I mean, what draws you to this after, you know, for, I mean, 40, I mean, 35, something like year. I mean, you've been at this for a long time. Like what still draws you to the, to the, to the arena, so to speak? Well, you, you hit it. it. It's the drive. It's, it's what you're used to doing, you know, that every January, you know, it's, it's, it's time to start back up again. And, and here we go. And no matter how you played last year, what you did last year that doesn't mean anything it's a whole new year and, and everyone's fresh and ready to go you got new stuff you got new thoughts you got new swing thoughts you got this and that and then you get to go to an exciting place like morocco and all that you know it's the blood flowing and i think if you talk to, to any athlete i mean listen let me the champions tour has probably saved a lot of guys lives um because if they did so. have a champions tour, they would probably be either be really sick or they'd be dead right now and because of the champions tour, it keeps us motivated. It keeps us playing and all that stuff. And you, you see that in baseball, you see all the guys who used to play are now managing and coaching and, and scouting and doing all that. Because once you get into the rut of doing this, and this is what you do for a living and you're used to doing it year after year after year. And all of a sudden it's gone. That's really hard. Yeah. So, um, it's really hard. So I, I can't even, you know, I can't even imagine for some of those guys who play on the LIV, how it had to be, you know, for Phil Mickelson not to play San Diego last week. That had to be a, a mindset that had to be, you know, he always got to play there and he wasn't allowed to play there. So, you know, you get into a rut of playing all the time and, and, and you enjoy doing it. So you, you don't even think about anything else. You're just ready to go do it. What's the one PGA Tour stop that you miss? And you can't say, uh, you know, don't say Augusta. That's we, that's too easy. But what's the one stop that you miss? I mean, because, again, you've, you've been around. You, you've been to places and experiences. What's the stop that you miss? And then what's the one on the Champions Tour? I mean, one of them that you're like, man, I I didn't get to play this tournament until I turned, you know, 50. This is amazing. I love this place. <laughs> well, obviously, you know, the majors are always special on the big tour, but Phoenix, you know, living here in the Valley, sure. uh, having, you know, having to get 60 or 70 passes a week, uh, <laughs> oh, there, the parking tickets, uh, you know, and, and all, and, and being out there and having all the one, all your friends out there watching you getting to sleep in your own bed that week. Uh, so Phoenix was always fun. Dallas, uh, was a fun one for me with having Mr. Nelson. Uh, yeah, there, yeah. I, uh, I had my, I had the course record there for a long time. I, I come close to winning there. Um, you know, any, any player will say to you probably where you play really well at, you love going to, and you can't wait to get back there too. I know that colonial, uh, uh, Hilton head were always one of my favorites golf courses. Hilton head was always one of my favorites because it was the week after Augusta. Yeah. And you had so much pressure on you at Augusta. It was a long 
hard walking golf course. You know, people forget how hard it is to walk Augusta National, and it beats up on you. And then you come here to Hilton Head, and it's a kind of a a short, tight, you know, you know, target golf. And it's so different that it was always so much fun to play there that I always enjoyed it. Um, but you know, there's there's always the ones you played well at. You always can't wait to get back to and. and you know, on the Champions Tour, I, it's we always we you know we don't play in Minneapolis anymore. Uh, they have the 3M took over from the big tour. We enjoyed it there because the people were always so excited to see us. But I think one of the nicest things for the Champions Tour for us is that you know, you know, people say, well, hey, you know, I watched you when you played on the big tour, and now you're out here doing this, and we were following here, so they followed you your whole life. Yeah, and it's really kind of a neat thing to have people come up and and be your age. And I've followed you my whole life and all that. So it's, it's, it's kind of a neat thing to, to have. How, how many people have you met on the champions tour that said they were at the 1998 LA open? <laughs> uh, uh, quite a few, quite a few. And, and, and uh, there isn't, you know, fortunately, and I take this very proudly that, you know, aren't you the only guy to beat Tiger Woods in a playoff? Yeah. And I hear that just about every day of my life and I never get tired of hearing it. Trust me. So. 1998 LA Open. Billy Mayfair is the only person to ever beat Tiger Woods in a playoff. Um, yeah, that ha- I mean, you know, that could have been a win at any other tournament that would just get sandwiched in between one of your, you know, your Western Open and your Greater Milwaukee. That could have just been another line on the on the on the resume or another line in in your your history book. And that win is, I mean. That's going to be on your tombstone, my friend. There's no way around yeah, it. That- yeah, it. It might be. It might be. And okay. And, and I and I want to thank Tiger for helping that because obviously he'd only won a couple of events at the time, and he kind of he kind of took off. I said, you know, we could have traded careers. I would have been fine <laughs> for that too. But you know, Tiger, Tiger, and I've always has had a good rapport. Um, he told when we were at a tournament one time, he sat down with me and he says, "Can I sit with you? You're the only one I can intimidate." That's great. And. You know, so Tiger's always been a class act. We kind of kidded about it, and he's a class act, and 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 I, and I can't wait for. I hope he turns fifty and he can play out there with us too, because it'd be fun to have him back out there. But, um, you know, that was something that you know, like you said, I'll probably have it on my tombstone. That that uh, that Champions Tour, um, good grief, that that would explode that tour. Even I mean, that really, he he, he needs to play a couple. I mean, he just has to. Yeah, I think he, I think he will try, you know, we just, we just, they just put into, into effect this year on the champions tour. And I don't know if you knew that you can take a cart now at all tournaments Yeah, and, and not, not the majors, you can't get the majors, but all PGA tour sanctioned champions for it. You're allowed to now take a cart. Hmm. I wonder why they put that in. Hmm. Yeah. Um, shock, about that. shocker. Yeah. Shock. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, now this, you might be able to answer this. I, maybe I should already know this, but does, Phil Mickelson going to live exclude him from, I guess it does. He can't play champions. Can he? No, he cannot. No. No. Hmm. no. Well, that's another, that's always been one hard thing for some of those guys. I could never, you know, you work your whole life, that exemption, that lifetime exemption. When you win, I believe it's 20 events. I think that's the magic number. You have a lifetime exemption on the big tour and, you know, to, to give that up and not, not only have these guys given up the tour, they've been erased from the tour. And I looked at the money list, you know, last year and, and I was like 51st on the, on the career money list. And I go, how'd I, how'd I move up? I'm, I'm playing my crap. How'd I move up on the money list? and all that? And they said, well, you moved up five spots because LIB guys are now ta- taking off career money. 
Wow. And, you know, so to be, to be wiped off the map completely. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. Not, I don't want to I don't want to get too much into that. I don't know. Me neither. Me neither. And, through the OIB and everything, but you know, it, it, you know, you work, there's a lot of years and a lot of hard, a lot of balls were hit to win all those tournaments. And, you know, that would be a hard decision for me. Yeah, I we won't get too much into it, but I I shake my head at that too, uh, I, especially when you're you're you know older, uh, you get to the the mid forties or early fifties, you get to that point where look, you, the prime of your career is done, and wouldn't you want to? I mean, gosh, I I mean, look at look at uh, look at longer. I mean, he's he's winning at sixty five. He's been out there for fifteen years. Yep. Yep. and you're anyway all right we're we're gonna we're gonna move on we'll we'll we we don't haven't talked a whole lot of live uh here and and thankfully so um because that's a whole other can of worms there but um it will make it will make this year interesting though that's for sure this is gonna be a very and i well you know it's funny i just had i just had chris solomon uh solly from no laying up on the podcast and and you know they cover a lot of the they cover more professional golf and and i cover amateur golf but man, I said to him, I said, man, you have no idea how thankful I am that my lane is amateur and collegiate golf because I do not envy the fact that, I mean, they have to talk that. They have to stay, all the gossip and the this and that. And I'm like, thank God I don't have to get involved with that every week. Yes. Yep. Yep. You're, you're correct. So I, I want to let you go, but I also wanted to talk about, so, and I'm kind of flying here without a net, so forgive me if I make any uh, assumptions or any incorrect uh, statements here, but I want to talk a little bit about not only the foundation that you and your wife, Tammy, started, and this is to assist athletes and their families that are, uh, you know, dealing with uh, with autism and, and um, mm-hmm. disorder. So in 2019, you were diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder after experiencing symptoms related to, to Asperger's. And now, f- so full disclosure, when I think of autism, I think of Asperger's, I immediately think of children. I don't think of adults that get diagnosed. So can right. you walk me through and listeners through maybe what are some of the occurrences that happened in your day-to-day life that led you to saying something might not be right here, I need to get tested? Can you maybe walk me through that? Yes, absolutely. I'd be happy to. I'm very happy and proud of that. I've come out with this. I think I've helped some people along the way. And and that's, that's the whole point of this. I think when people think of autism and they think of Asperger's, I think they think of Rain Man, uh, probably more than anything else. That's what I hear the most of. We thought, well, you, you're like Rain Man, you know, you just, you know, you're that, your brain's going, but you don't look right. And, and it's, it's far from that. My autism diagnosis was, was high functioning autism. And, you know, I really didn't know that I had this. I, I, my wife was kind of the one that kind of suspected it at first. And then we had some instances on, on the golf course with, with uh, rulings and, and me understanding things that were, she thought it was to our, my best interest to get tested. And, and listen, I fought her on this. I mean, anyone out there who's listening, uh, who, who thinks this, you know, this is a fight and this person's going to put up a fight and I didn't want to do that. And, and, you know, my thinking was, I'm, I'm normal. You're the one who's not right. You're the one who's got this stuff. I'm normal. And, 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 and that's, and that's true, but she, she did have me tested and it was, it was a one, it was an eight hour test. And then we did a lot of different things. And, and I read the diagnosis and even, even before I read the diagnosis, I was still in denial. 
Uh, no, I don't have that. I never liked the word Asperger's from, from the very beginning. Autism, I guess I was okay with, but Asperger's, I never I hated that saying or being called that. Um, but, you know, after I had the test and after I, after, after a long period of time, I think it was about six months, so I finally sat down and read the report that my eyes kind of opened up and I, things started making sense to me why I struggled so much in high school, why school was so hard for me and why I loved golf so much and why I could go out to the golf course and sit on the range for six hours and hit balls and, and, and just enjoy myself and be all by myself. And people don't understand that. And as I said, again, I was diagnosed with very high functioning autism, but uh, I really have a hard time with social cues. And I think that's maybe sometimes why I think people don't like me or but want to be around me um, because I'm, I'm very poor at uh, facial expressions and all that. And it's all normal. And, and COVID was a blessing for me because it gave me time to be at home, to work with my psychologist and my doctors to try to improve that. And I think it has a lot. And now, now that I'm understanding it and I'm trying to, to use it as much as I can to help my golf game, because I, I know that I can get focused better. I, I think a lot of great athletes, um, famous athletes are probably on the spectrum a little bit and they don't know it. Um, I'm not going to name any names and all that stuff, but, uh, most successful athletes you will find probably are a little bit on the spectrum just because of our ways to focus on things. But um, it, when I read the report and, and, and started making sense and all that, it, it just started making life a little bit easier and, and understanding myself and the people around me a lot more. So when that all happened, my wife and I got together uh, and we discovered through all this that for people who have autism, and even, you know, low function and high functioning autism, there's nothing out there for the, for the, for the wife. There's nothing out there for the parents. There's nothing out there for the siblings. And those are the people that we felt the most sorry for, because you hate to see a child who has been diagnosed with autism and he's given all the attention. What about the other siblings yeah. in the family? They thinking, and what are they going through and, and, and all that. And then grandparents who were brought up, differently to teach them and, and to teach parents how to deal with this um my wife experienced uh, an older gentleman uh, a, a young gentleman at, at the u.s senior open a few years back started being in tears my my son's got autism and i just don't know what to do and he was crying and you know that's why we really wanted to get our foundation going to help people like that and to say that hey you're not the only one who who feels this way and to help them understand things and it's really it's changed my life it's changed my wife's life around a great deal and uh you know i think the biggest blessing for me is that now things are clearer about when i when i do why i do certain things the way i do it and how I, when i was growing up why i had hard times had such difficult things with certain things but not other things so i have always encouraged people if they think they have this uh to get tested and i know they're going to fight me on it and you're going to and you're going to fight the person on it but get tested and you know, read the report because it might open, open your eyes and open your brain up, which is, which is a huge thing because it helps you with the rest of your life. Yeah, it's really interesting because you mentioned, you know, obviously golf is a solitary sport, but you know, there's still, you know, golf is a solitary sport, but there are still interactions with, I mean, gosh, your day is filled with interactions with other players and caddies and officials and sponsors and age i mean you're the you're the face and ceo of, of you know billy mayfair incorporated and you 
are having to have all these different interpersonal relationships where it sounds to me, that's one of the things that like you're, you're, you, you would struggle with is that is your interpersonal relationships. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Facial expressions, relationships, talking. Um, you know, I, I, I had a horrible time that I would, I would, you know, I've had worked real hard on interviews, even with you, like you, where you've asked me a question and I'll go off in a different direction. And I think I'm answering the question, but I'm not, I'm going off in a different direction. Okay. So I, I've worked real hard on trying to stay focused on that. And, and it is work and it is, but it, it's, it's very gratifying. But I think the biggest thing, like I said, again, it, it it opens the door up and you say, Oh, Hey, I used to do that. And, and okay, that's okay though. You know? And, and that's what I tell everybody. And, and I, I had, I got a, I had a great talk with some kids at uh, Flint, Michigan for the ally challenge. They came out and watched me play. And, and I talked to them for an hour after the round and, you know, just told them, you know, you guys can do whatever you want to do. You can be, you can, you can, you know, and, and that's what I preach so much is that, you can still be a professional athlete. You can still be the president of a CEO. You can run your own radio station. You can be your own TV guy, whatever. You can do anything you want to do with your autism. Don't let that stop you. And the kids love it, but watching the parents' faces behind them. Oh, God, yeah. It's even more is even more inspiration. I remember I was tired that day and played bad, and I was never so happy in my life getting to talk to these kids. But I think it's a real shame that there's not more help out there for the siblings uh, that have to deal with these people every day. Because the hard thing with, with high functioning autism is a lot of people don't notice it. But if you lived with me every day, 24 hours, you would see it a lot. And that's, that's what's hard for people to understand. And I just keep coming back to the fact that your profession, the better you do, the more people are going to be around you. And the more people are going to yes. be watching you and like, you know, your life is, is, I wouldn't say it gets, I don't want to say complicated, but it just, it, there's, there's more spotlight on your life and your profession, the better you do. And that's probably what your body and your mind are fighting against tooth and nail. True. Yeah. You're, 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 I'm, I'm fighting an uphill battle all the time. Yes. Wow. Now, do you ever let yourself to think, man, if I was diagnosed with this when I was 30 or do you ever think about things like that? Well, I wish I could have had this when I was in college. I, okay. I, I struggled in college. I struggled. Um, I, I, I studied a lot. And back in college, too, at that time, you know, this wasn't something that was talked about. It wasn't studied. Right, um, right, right. It, it is it, it, like it is today. I, I, I know that now, you know, down a lot of most universities have programs to help kids with, with autism and all that. And, and, and that really would, you know, would have helped me a great deal getting through college, um, because it's hard. It's, it's hard to go through school and you study and you work hard and you do all this and you don't make good grades and you think you're, you're, you're not very smart, but you are. And you just need to find the area where you really are, you know, that special person and how you can focus in on that one, doing that one specific task. And that's why a lot of companies today, will actually start hiring people with autism be, to do a specific thing because they do that specific thing so very well. Interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing is that your, your wife, Tammy, you know, she played college golf at Arizona state and, and I may be completely shooting, uh, you know, off top or off base here, but I'm thinking because she knows the game, did mm -hmm. she maybe see things that weren't clicking because of how you were handling situations on the golf course where if she wasn't a golfer, would she have noticed? So that's a great question. I would have to agree with you that since she, she grew up in a golfing family, her dad was a pro. Uh, she played golf. She played, you know, junior golf. She played 
collegiate golf and she was actually pro for a few years um with if she would not have had that type of brought up she, she may not have noticed it like other people would but um you know i i think from what i from the people i've talked to and the things that i've and i've learned from everyone is is that these siblings just don't know how to approach it they see yeah. it they know there's different and and nobody wants to be diagnosed with autism it, like i said when you do that they all think you're rain man walking around so there's a lot more to that and i'm 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 and I'm real proud of us getting our foundation going to help these people and, and to help people around. But I, I get the biggest kick out of just talking to people about it and, and, and kids who have autism and, and talking to them. And, and, and you see that little gleam in their eye, man, that's, that's almost better than making a putt. That's well said. Well, I, I'm going to let you go, but before I do, let's talk about this year, 2023. This is uh, another year on the champions tour. You've had, like I said, I mean, you got this great career, amateur career, professional career. You've I mean, your foundation, you've accomplished so much in your professional career. What's the perfect cap to your professional golf career? What do you want to accomplish? What's, you know, what if, if there's one way to ride off into the sunset at some point, what do you want to add to the list? Uh, now you can't say beating Tiger Woods in a champions tour playoff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that one off the table, but man, that would, right, that would I, be, I, already that would, beat, I, I already beat him. He's no challenge. That anymore, would have been, know? that would be so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you guys are in a playoff in the champions tour, I mean, you, you two would just start laughing and no one would take it seriously. Oh, we, we probably, we probably couldn't hit it. We'd be laughing so hard. <laughs> you again. Me, he goes, he'd go to me. He'd say, yep, 22 years. I'm finally going to get you back now. Oh you my know, gosh. Uh, you know, I, I, I look forward to the year. I, I, I obviously every time you, you, you start the year, you think about winning and doing things like that. But, uh, you know, just again, uh, to have a, I'd like to have a fun year this year. And yeah. I don't always mean that means by winning, but I'd like to come back out and, and, and hit, you know, hit good golf shots, play better than I did last year. Because when you play better, you feel better and you, and you have more fun. So uh, for me this year, my wife and I have been talking about it. You know, we want to go out and have fun this year and uh, do fun things and help people in the process too. But, but to go out and play golf this year and have a lot of fun um don't hang up i'm just going to close the episode but don't hang up well um yep. billy uh man really got to thank you this is a great chat i love just going going back down memory lane and talking about uh your entire career and i really appreciate you being so forthcoming and, and honest and open about uh about talking about about autism and i think your you know your foundation is helping a lot of people and and hopefully people listening to this uh that might you know light bulb might go off in their head and know someone that would benefit from your foundation uh go uh, uh you know get your stuff packed you got to catch a flight to morocco go uh, have a great time with the champions tour and uh, i appreciate you stopping by the back of the range hey thanks for having me I, I love talking about golf and especially college golf and keep doing the great job that you're doing i know these guys appreciate it and there you have it. Special thanks to Billy Mayfair for joining me this week at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.